Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Summerland. People like to have something to believe in. It's what everyone wants. Ooh, magic. Stories have to come from somewhere. We were expecting you an hour ago. Sorry. Frank, this is Miss Lamb, your new guardian. I don't want him. We've all got to do our bit. I'm supposed to go to school. Go on, then. Where is it? This is Frank. He's an evacuee from London. (laughs) Miss Lamb, I know you're busy writing your stories. Academic theses. They don't look very interesting. I wrote them. Do you believe in heaven? Yes. Well, you shouldn't. What happened to all the people who died before the Christians? Where did their souls go? Summerland. Where's Summerland? It's a myth. Stories have to come from somewhere. Oi! It's my dad. In 21 Squadron. Well, then. What are you waiting for? Why don't you have a husband? Why don't you have a wife? There was someone. Once. Here we are. So I say, make the most of it. Was she the one you loved? Would you think it was strange? No. (laughs) It's Frank here. What is it? His father. We just had the telegram. (laughs) Life is not kind. Anguish is inevitable. What matters is how you deal with it. Poor little lad, having to bear it on his own. He's not on his own. Nobody knows how to be a parent. But you two. Gosh, you make quite a pair. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Summerland, and the story is as follows. During World War II, reclusive writer Alice has her sequestered life upended when Frank, an evacuee from the London Blitz, is left in her care. Despite initially resolving to be rid of him, Alice finds herself and her emotions reawakened by him. The film is starring Gemma Arterton, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, Lucas Bond, Dixie Egerix, Cian Phillips, Penelope Wilton, and Tom Courtenay. It is written and directed by Jessica Swale. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. I haven't been this excited for a podcast review since Little Women. Dan Baer. Good morning, everyone. Lauren LaMagna. Oi! And Sarah Clements. <laughs> Hello. All right, everyone. So, IFC Films back yet again with another straight-to-VOD release this summer called Summerland. Uh, this film over here is... Well, if you couldn't already tell, it's basically Nicole Ackman, the movie. Uh, but <laughs> also, it, um, it you know got the rest of you all pretty excited. Um, it drew, drew Sarah out of her uh, editing domain onto the podcast for this one. So there's a, 
quite a bit of excitement. I, I could tell by the early reactions that you all shared with one another. Um, I actually just finished watching this five minutes before hopping on to the podcast myself, so I haven't had a chance Whoa. to even share my reaction with anyone just yet. So why don't you get the rest of our audience up to speed on how you all feel about it? Why don't we first start off with Miss Cottagecore herself, <laughs> Nicole Hackman. I watched this. Uh, on screener to write my review of it. And I have to say, I was talking to Dan yesterday. It was so hard to keep my reactions to myself because I was bursting to talk about this movie. And I'm so excited to discuss it with you guys today. Because like you said, this is one of those movies that I'm like, oh, okay, Jessica Swale was like, I'm going to make a movie for Nicole Ackman. Uh, Everything from the costumes to the story to the actors in it, I think it's a really beautiful film. I think it's a really interesting piece because it has the feel of a comfort movie, but it also takes on some pretty hefty topics. It's one of my favorite films that's come out this year. I love it so much, and it's also something that I can totally see becoming one of my kind of go-to movies to rewatch because it is so beautiful and just gets me so emotional. <laughs> all right, all right. Lauren Lamagna, you're up next. I think Jessica Swale knew that she needed to help all of humanity and make this movie <laughs> because I really do think it is something we all needed to see. It is a breath of fresh air, not just because we haven't seen so much movies. It's also because she. I feel like she knew we were going through something and we just needed a hug and that's what this movie is it is a nice warm hug and sometimes for me British cinema can be a hit or a miss and this was a huge huge hit and I really loved the topics discussed and the philosophy and just what's mentioned about it and I think Jessica Swale is amazing I love her I can't wait to see what she does next Gemma Arterton is a fantastic lead this is one of her best roles in a long time if not if not ever And I can't wait to dive into this guy. It's amazing. And I'm so glad that it exists in this world. Dan Bear. Uh, So (laughs) I, I love this. (laughs) Um, And I don't know why I'm laughing about it Um, because it's not even like a, like, Oh, it's bad, but I loved it anyway. Sort of thing. No, this is really, really good. I'm just, on the level of pure storytelling, I'm in love with it. And then once you get to act, the actual cinematic elements of it, I, I'm even more in love with it. Um, it, it's, it's so it's a bit weird because for the first half of the movie, it's this you know odd couple um, story between this you know lonely. Um, self-isolating writer, a bit crusty, uh, who you know gets all her walls broken down by this adorable child. And this movie has easily the best child performances I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like that's very charming and lovely. And then at like the halfway point, it takes a hard left turn straight into melodrama and it shouldn't work but somehow that pivot made me love the film even more it i'm very confused but like i don't know jessica swale did some kind of magic 
um, when making this movie because it works and it works so well. All right, all right. Let's hear from Sarah. Well, listen, I. It's just, I mean, need my depression medication anymore. I could just <laughs> pop that baby on, but. Like, I, I'll be honest, I was not going to watch it at first because, um, like, all of the promotion and photos I was seeing was just of Gemma and Gugu's, like, romance in the film. And then, you know, people started to watch it and they were telling me, yeah, this is not what it's about. They only have, like, a handful of scenes or whatever. And I was like, ugh, well, that's a little homophobic. And then I watched it, and I am never listening to Twitter again. That movie screams, like, gay rights, and (laughs) it blew me away. Absolutely beautiful. Probably, like, the most feel-good film I've seen this year. It's good. It's good. (laughs) Matt Matt Maglio with the hot take. Get out of here. That's not a hot take. It's good. What's so hot about that? That's the joke, Matt. <laughs> what, because I said it in the summer? <laughs> in any event. I'm, I'm excited to dive into it as well, uh, because I do think that this movie has a lot more to offer than what is on the surface at first glance, because to a certain degree, um, like Dan, where he said that um, towards the third act, uh, there is a moment that happens in the movie kind of then steeps into melodrama and i too typically don't tend to like contrivances like that uh, that this movie presents uh but it worked for me here and it actually did elevate the movie so i i do agree with dan in that regard i think that Gemma ardenton is just one of the most underrated actresses working today um, if you have seen uh, Their Finest, uh, that was another film that she was in a couple of years ago where she did outstanding work and nobody seemed to pay attention. Uh, and Lucas Bond, who uh, plays the young boy in this, I don't know if it's the best child performance I've seen in a long time, as Dan said. Um, I, I, I feel like I'm going to be maybe the one that's going to maybe, how do I say this? Ground this review from hyperbole a little bit. <laughs> The movie is good. I, I I just don't think it is like, you know, the second coming. But I agree with everything that was said here in regards to this movie de- definitely feels like a warm hug. It's a movie that feels great for the times that we're going through right now because there's been so few movies of this kind uh, during this quarantine stage of our lives. So having a nice warm blanket of a movie like this, I mean, you know, Nicole mentioned Little Women before, um, it definitely reminded me of the feeling that that movie also gave in that regard. I I believe I used the warm blanket analogy uh, with that movie too. So it's hitting all the right notes. I I just don't think... There's something about it that held it from being quote-unquote great for me. Um, But overall, I thought it was very good. I was just going to say, to jump off of what you were saying, I think that one of the things that really makes this film stand out is the performances to me. Um, I I don't know if I would say that Lucas Bond is the best child actor performance I've seen in a long time, but I think he's easily, as of right now, my child actor performance uh, winner for this year thus far. Like, I don't think I've seen anyone in a 2020 film come near what he's doing. And I also think it's one of the best child characters I've seen 
in a film in quite a while uh, in how much emotional depth he's allowed to have. Because I feel like often whenever you get a child character in an adult movie, they're kind of not much of a character. It's just like the kid. Whereas he has like a real character arc of his own and he kind of holds his own as a character against Alice. Well, one of the things I liked about um, the first act in the movie, which admittedly for me, I I was struggling in the first act of this movie to understand what was so special about the film uh, because I, I had heard all of your reactions first uh, before watching it. So I was like, why is everyone raving? I've seen this movie before. But <laughs> one thing that I really did like about the first act it was how much Lucas Bond's uh, performance. He has such an innocent quality about him that he really was able to uh, break down Alice Lamb's um, walls that she had put up for herself um, to, to seclude herself from the rest of society. And their banter back and forth, um, especially in the first act of the film. So good. I, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. And I thought they had great chemistry together. Yeah, and it's one of the things, like, it really sells. They, they not only sell the relationship between the two of them, but they both individually sell her arc of, you know, like, kind of breaking down and embracing the potential mother inside her which is the real story of the that's the main arc of the film yeah and i i was i (laughs) again like just like how the way the story is structured and the the way the screenplay is written like i i'm so impressed by it well i mean i was asking myself and i'm sure you all were asking yourselves the same question in the first act of the film why is she the way that she is yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the movie's going to answer it at some point. Right. They have like mm-hmm. these uh, flashes here and there of editing to hint at a backstory, which the movie then gets into later on uh, without giving spoilers away. The way that the movie ties those flashbacks in into the main narrative and then also to Dan's point, this theme of motherhood is something that took me quite by surprise. Um, Sarah, I think you mentioned before, like this movie was not. Like, it was not what you were expecting it to be. And I have to admit that I had the same exact feeling of I, I heading into heading into this. I really, really thought that this was just going to be a period lesbian romance film. And that was all well and good. But what it turned out to be was something totally different. Yeah, it turned out to be something like so much more than that. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, I would say it's basically like, I love the film from beginning to end. And it's definitely because of the performances, especially the chemistry between um, Gemma and Lucas, which I mean, made me not care about the fact that it wasn't just a lesbian, you know, period romance, which I think a lot, it bothered a lot of uh, quite a few people I've seen, but do you think that's like mismarketing or I think, yeah, I feel like it because all the photos I was seeing were just of them and people were like, Oh, it's about, you know, their romance and it's not, but like, that's but why you should just not go on Twitter. <laughs> but it's funny. I watched the trailer, and when I saw the first trailer, I got the feel of it's this cranky old British woman that doesn't want to open up that meets this kid. I really got the relationship between the child and the adult versus the lesbian romance. I saw that more as a subplot within the first trailer. But I will say the promotional pictures was all Gemma and all Gugu, which I understand mm-hmm. the confusion there. I think that part of that was that for the fact that she is 
you know, a supporting character in it. Guguma Bathara is obviously one of the bigger names involved in the film. So obviously they were going to use her in all their promotion for it. Mm -hmm. But then I think it did give us this idea that she was, you know, maybe a second lead and she's definitely not. Um, But, and it's, it's there enough that it doesn't feel disingenuous that to call it, you know, it definitely has a, lesbian romance plot in it it's not that it's uh queer baby or something like that it just i do think that they were a little bit misleading as to where the heart of the film is yeah i mean it is i mean yeah but it it's also the thread that ties everything together so i think one of the most astounding things um because there's such a restriction here though and everything that we're saying with her role is even with these shortened scenes or flashes even, Jessica Swale did a really great job visually of establishing their uh, romance where I didn't need dialogue scenes. I I got it all visually, Mm -hmm. and it hit the exact right tone, and Guguma Bafara, um, it's not, you know, obviously it's not an, an outstanding performance or anything of that nature, but the performance was so good that I actually was able to formulate uh, a strong connection between uh, their romance without heavy explanation. And I, I, cr- I credit that to their performances. And I also credit that to Jessica Swell's direction. She's worked with Gugu before in a stage production of one of her plays, and she knows Gugu's charisma, and she knows her charm, and she knows how much of a supernova and bright star that she is. So she knew in those little scenes that Gugu would give all that light. So we knew as an audience member just how bright and just how amazing this personality of this character is. So every time we saw her, even though she doesn't say much in some scenes, we are gravitated to her the same way Alice is in those scenes, which, again, it's the acting, it's the writing, and it's also the direction of Swale. And the cinematography, too. Like, I mean, and the editing choices, like how they, they... (laughs) <laughs> they like keep her hidden for um quite a while it's like i was surprised by how long they chose to keep her hidden actually um before we have to like see her face there's a lot of like you know flashes of her hands or her dress or whatever and i i was like okay we're waiting they're gonna give her a big entrance and when the big entrance comes i was not disappointed because she's just luminous magical you guys magic yeah <laughs> she's and just then, incandescent like yeah oh yeah and swell knew that so even when she's not in certain scenes you know she's always in the back of alice's mind so she is mm-hmm. kind of in those scenes as well and that just is kudos to the amazing writing and direction and performance of gugu it's a small role but it's i think the hidden secret of the movie mm-hmm. and it does wonders to the film i've been wanting to make this joke since I, well, it's not like it's been a long time. I only did finish the movie a couple minutes ago. But <laughs> I I want to make this joke really, really badly. So here it goes. How unbelievable is it, guys, that we just reviewed Interstellar a few days ago. And now we're reviewing Summerland. <laughs> and there is a strong, strong theme of signs being sent from another dimension. <laughs> 
Um, that low key, the best special effect of the year. Actually, yeah, I didn't know if it was a time lapse at first. I didn't know what it was, and then I was like, "Oh, the waves are moving in real time," and I was like, "Oh, that's that's really cool." (laughs) Like it was amazing. But I I immediately thought of Nicole, where I was like, "This is her Interstellar." folklore stuff was so interesting i wish they had gone a little bit deeper with it just a little bit i wanted a little bit more about summerland itself yes concept of this Mm -hmm. pagan heaven and i was so into it and i do think that it's it is to the film's um benefit that she is a bit restrained with it because it does feel like something that in a film by perhaps a lesser director or a lesser writer it could have gotten old like if they went too far into it, but I did want just a little bit more partially because I was loving it so much. And I was so fascinated by it that I was like, no, no, keep going. I think they were restricted (laughs) probably by budget um, because I kept thinking they could do this as almost like a, uh, I'm trying to think of like a good example of this, but like almost like when you're telling a story and then all of a sudden there'll be like an animated sequence to illustrate like that story that's being told or, um, you know, some sort of visual effect element, which to Dan, like Dan said, there's a little bit of that here, but it didn't go fully bombastic and big in its grandeur with the visuals. I don't know if this I is I love true. that way, though. I don't know if this is totally true, but on Wikipedia, it does say that the budget for this film was 850,000 pounds. Which would equate wow. to about 2 million U.S.? Yeah, it that as of right now because um the pound is down. Oh, that's like a uh, a million one hundred thousand. Wow. Ish. Yeah. Mm. So it's it's basically just over the one million dollar mark. Wow. Independent Spirit Award contender, maybe. Please, <laughs> I would yeah. hope so. I mean, I'd hope so anyway. I I don't I don't know that I necessarily wanted more of an explanation for Summerland. I, I think that it was, it, I for me, it, it felt like just enough. I um, agree. In that it wanted me, it, in that it made me want more. And I think that's kind of the point. It's to draw you in to that story. And I think there, I, 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 <laughs> I so appreciate that this movie is like hovering around the 90 minute mark that I don't want to add anything <laughs> to it because it feels like the perfect length for what it is that's totally fair but i guess in regards to summerland just being a little bit more prominent i i understand what the connective tissue is here like i get it in regards to um love and connections that you have to people even if you're separated worlds apart from them or even um through death you know or you just don't even know if they are alive or dead there's always like this connection uh that bonds people together um i i understand that that's like what the movie's getting at but to nicole's point i i think i wanted maybe just a little like at them i wanted them to hit it on the head maybe just a little bit more Oh, see, I'm with Dan. I think it was totally perfect the way that it was because we're in a realistic point of view with Alice. And when we're talking about heaven-like worlds or heaven-like dimensions, with even people today, they take the slightest little sign or like the way clouds move or the way light refracts. That's what they see is the sign. So you don't really need so much to be like, oh, that's Mm -hmm. heaven that I'm seeing. That's my departed grandmother that I'm seeing. 
You just need a little bit of a feeling. And I think in that type of regard, less is more. And I think that scene with, with the visual effects, even though it is simple and it is minimalistic, I think it's everything. And I think that is kind of what people in the real life might experience and attribute to, oh, that is someone that I've lost, whether it's within the physical world or whether it's through a breakup or whether it's through drifting apart. And that really discovers, you know, the idea of loss and love and being able to be okay and accept and move on from it. And I think that scene was very powerful the way it was. Yes, I love the simplicity of it all as well. I also like that the movie um, does present older Alice, uh, played by Penelope Wilton, and doesn't give us any information other than, well, we know that she's still alive later on, still alone, still a recluse, still in the same cottage. Uh, but that's really the all, only information that we have. So we don't know the fates of uh, the fates of other characters um, that she comes into contact with uh, throughout the story. So, you know, there were a couple of moments, especially when the movie did start to slide a bit into melodrama. And Really quick, I do want to just say every time I mention melodrama here, I, I I don't want it to have such a negative connotation tied to it. Yeah, um, yeah. it yeah. is melodrama, but it's not melodrama that is mishandled. I I think that the movie has an earnest, genuine quality about it that Nicole, in your review, you said some people might find overly sentimental, and I can totally see that, and I think that that will just come down to subjective taste. It worked here for me just barely because I, I admit I did start to teeter maybe a little bit into this is a little too contrived and a little too neat and a little too oh, like I, I started to feel like it was just too tidy, but I never fully got there. So I, I all right, I'm going to tie it back to what I was saying before now. <laughs> Sorry for the little tangent. We don't know exactly how other characters are going to end up by the end. So there was a great deal of suspense throughout um, that I think that Jessica Swale did a really good job on storytelling-wise in terms of getting us hooked in emotionally into the connections that these characters have, both physically, metaphysically, through the film's themes, but then also leaving us then to wonder, well, how is the story going to end? Yeah, by the time that second act happened, I was completely hooked. I want to say the first half of the film is very... You know, your stereotypical British film, yeah. which again, for me, it is a hit or a miss sometimes. Sometimes I really like them. Sometimes I've seen 500 versions of them, so I know exactly what's going to happen. But again, Jessica Swale is a really great writer. And by a certain twist, I was actively engaged. And I am sitting yeah. at my screen, literally like speaking out loud. I've never felt, again, I've never felt, I want to say, so invested in a film in such a long time, especially a first viewing of a film, because this year is amazing. Mm -hmm. And it was so nice and so refreshing to be this actively engaged in a character's journey again. And credit to Gemma Arden for selling the moment the way that she mm -hmm. did, too. I, she has never been this good. She's my great. jaw, my jaw dropped. As did several times. Yes, <laughs> there's that big plot twist moment, and I literally just sat there and cried. Like I was like, "Oh, okay, this is happening." You know, there there is a one little element to the twist where I did think that uh it's kind of a cheat, but the like the more it sat with me, the more I just kind of was 
like enveloped in the story enough that it like it, it just didn't matter you know emotionally performance wise writing wise like it just didn't there was one little thing like one tiny little thing and i think people w- might know it when they see it um, we're not going to reveal it here but it was just one of those things where i was like hmm so you know i i, I let that slide otherwise yeah no it definitely made the movie stand out uh because once again it to lauren's point you think you know where this story is going and you think you know how it's going to turn out and then it just does it just goes in very, very interesting directions in a way that, you know, especially for this year where we're so light on, you know, movies that just get storytelling done well. I can't tell you all how many VOD releases I've seen this year. Oh, it's got so, <laughs> yeah. so it is refreshing. <laughs> it's very I refreshing. I think that so often in a film, whenever there is a big plot twist, especially, you know, you hear about, oh, this movie has a big plot twist. It can feel cheap. Or it can feel like it's done for shock value or like it's manipulative. And this plot twist feels magical. Like it doesn't feel like it was done just to make your jaw drop. It feels like it was done to tie everything together perfectly. And it's not that it's like, oh, so shocking. It's that it's like, oh my God, of course it has to happen like this. Like this is exactly what this should be. But you weren't like sitting there thinking, what are the odds? No, you don't see it coming. No. And if you do see it coming, oh, yeah. kudos to you. You guys are great movie readers. But once it does happen, <laughs> mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense. You're like, oh, this is natural. This isn't written, again, for shock value. This is literally a part of the story, and it makes perfect yeah. sense, and everything ties together. It was it was one of those things that when it was revealed, and I'm choosing to say it's a reveal rather than a twist because I don't think it's a twist at all. I, I was like, I, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. But, but I didn't. But I didn't because <laughs> it was so good at fainting in the in another direction. And when this big reveal happens, it was like, oh, well played movie. Yeah, exactly. You got me good and from that point on even though like it it becomes an essentially a completely different movie i was so i was that much more invested because i was invested in it before and then this big thing is revealed and i was just like oh god how is it gonna end and that takes the film to a higher level because sometimes with big twists or reveals it degrades the film and knocks it down a level sometimes if not most times and this movie was really elevated and taken up to the next level and the next notch because of this reveal and this twist or this plot point and i really loved it you've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, 
and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. That whole last half, man, just took my breath away, like, every second. Amazing. Right. You know what moment got me towards the end? It wasn't even so much the... Because I will admit I heard about the reveal from you guys. So, not going to lie, I did kind of predict it a few minutes before it happened. But no more than a few minutes before, right? You weren't, like, at the beginning of the movie. You didn't know what it was, right? Well, how could I? I hadn't seen the movie, technically. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, like in the first act, you hadn't figured it out yet, had you? I figured it out by act two. Okay. Which is basically when it's revealed. No, it's revealed in act three. It's going to turn into act three. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of act two. Yeah. But I will just say, with a word of caution then, to the point that um, I think it was just Lorna just said it, twists can sometimes bring down a movie. I would just tell like people that are listening that don't know what the reveal is or anything, like just temper your expectations, because sometimes when you do head into a movie knowing that there is a reveal, you do sometimes walk away with a feeling of, oh, that was it. And I think that that's a disservice to what Jessica Swale is doing thematically with this movie here. So just just go with it. Let it wash over you like the rocky shores that this movie takes place on. It's nice. Um, what I will say is that there is a moment in the third act with Penelope Wilton looking at photos. Mm. That tiny brief moment, that got me emotionally. Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting that moment to hit me hard. It, and it wasn't even the stuff afterwards with other actors. Um, like that, that didn't really like, that's where I was kind of doing the whole, oh, this is too tidy and too perfect and too neat. But just a m quiet moment of her looking at her mantelpiece and looking at uh, photos from her life. That was, I, I really, really, really love that quiet introspective moment. Yeah, the last scene of the film definitely got me. But the scene that got me the first time watching it was um, when... Alice is making like her last meal to Frank and he asked if there was a woman that she loved oh, and he, it's in the trailer and then like he says would you th she goes would you think that'd be strange and he just says no and yeah. she just breaks and Bro that's yeah. when I was like this is her that's when I was like this is Gemma's best performance because if you think about it which again my biggest flaw I think of the film or my biggest note is that we didn't really see you know what is life like for a queer woman in the 1940s in British countryside and if you think about that lens this is probably Alice's first confirmation 
that what she's feeling is okay and accepted by someone and just understanding how she literally fully breaks down and then goes, most people think it's wicked that I'm a witch. And then you understand that's her point of view and that's how she thinks the town sees her as this witch, as this evil person, as this wicked. And that scene fully got me. I agree. I have chills thinking about it. I also think that in some ways, and I said in my review, it doesn't really fully go into what a mixed race lesbian relationship would be like in this time and how hard that would be. But at the same time, I think in terms of what life was like for a queer woman at the time, I think part of it is she's lonely. She feels like she's an outcast from the village. The kids in the town think she's either a witch or a Nazi collaborator. (laughs) Like, I think that that loneliness is part of what they're saying life is like for a queer woman of the time period. And I think that that makes sense probably true to some extent and that she isn't comfortable talking about it and her reaction whenever she meets with this very I mean forgive this pun but very frank acceptance of it and that she almost can't comprehend it at first I think that also brings the two of them closer together but it is that like childlike innocence of he's like yeah okay um whatever kind of Mm -hmm. uh i think that scene is so beautiful and i do think it's one of the best in the whole film and honestly it's probably one of my favorite scenes in any 2020 movie it was just for me it was so refreshing to see that he was so accepting like it could have taken that turn where he's listening to all his child friends being like she's a witch and a nazi and he could have been like oh yeah but he never believes that for a second i'll take that one step further sarah the movie could have had him with an inquisitive, childlike sense of uh, wonder ask her questions about it and like dig a little bit deeper, maybe into understanding what that kind of relationship is like. But instead, it's just pure innocence. It's just you love someone. Why would anyone mm-hmm. care about you loving someone? And that, that, like, that approach, that approach, uh, and that's what I was talking about before when I said like the best parts about the uh, first act in the movie and parts of the second act for me are those moments where his innocence just completely breaks her down mm-hmm. and gets her to open up. Uh, it, like it's really, really phenomenal stuff. Yeah, and, and I, I agree that with what Nicole is saying that how like it doesn't really go into the difficulty of an interracial lesbian romance but there is one scene earlier in the movie i think then um the scene where she comes out to him um that it's a flashback scene that takes place in a hospital mm-hmm. and the there's a shot in that where i forget whether it's um, we're in Gugu's perspective looking at Gemma or the other way around, but there's sort of like a haze over all of the flashback scenes. But then there's also in this particular scene, the glass window of a door and you can like sort of barely make out the shape of the other lover on the outside of the room. And I, that one shot crystallized so much to me of what this sort of relationship would be like for them. 
<laughs> it was just like a really beautiful moment. I want to give a shout out to uh, the costumes in this movie too, because on a technical level, um, the costumes in this movie rank up there with me uh, with Emma and Birds of Prey of some of the best I've seen uh, this year, actually, especially yeah. uh, Gemma Ardenton's uh, outfits. We love a matching headband. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Really, really like the use of colors in this. Is to, uh, like the pastel colors on her, especially. Really, really nice. Truly, the costume designer said cottage core. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, these costumes are so beautiful. And also, the set decoration in this movie is so wonderful. I was like, I would love to step into this world, especially right now, I think, as we're all like cooped up in in apartments and our parents' houses and stuff for quarantine. I'm like, can I go live on a cottage on the coast of England? Because that sounds Mm -hmm. great. Can I go live in the seaside cottage from Atonement? Yeah. Yeah, that was my, that was, I was about to say that earlier, that it was the (laughs) cottage from Atonement. At least like the exterior, um, yeah, the exterior shots, but. I mean, honestly, that should have been the first time that I knew I was going to feel things during this movie when I saw that. (laughs) The setting was absolutely gorgeous. Agreed. Also helped with some of the um, mystical qualities of the movie that we were uh, talking about before as well, even though it's not, you know, obviously it's not necessarily about magic. Um, It's more about, I guess, ghosts in a sort of way. I definitely an element of like magical realism in the movie yeah that's talked about not necessarily like fully realized yeah but i do think there is like a an element of spirits maybe is what you would call it not ghosts but yeah 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 Mm -hmm. like i took it as um loving again after you lose someone whether however you may lose someone whether it's a breakup it's a loss you just drift apart and being okay with the fact that it's okay to be sad about it, but it's also okay to be happy again. And it's okay to love again. And it's okay to keep going. And just realizing that and still having a connection to what you had before with the person that you've lost is still valid and it's still fresh and you can still love them, but you're also allowed to move on and you're also allowed to love again. And that's, I think, is an important lesson. And especially now especially now in 2020 because I feel like we've all lost a lot we're all going through a lot right now and just having a film that tells us you know what you're feeling is valid and it's okay to feel upset and bad but it's also okay to be okay and it's also okay to have good days and it's also okay to love again after losing whatever it is you've lost because stories have to come from somewhere they do (laughs) mm-hmm Oh my god, that broke me so bad. <laughs> yeah, that's the cry right there. And, the, and I'm like, yes, if I wasn't crying enough already, you had to go and do that. <laughs> Don't you guys just love it when a piece of dialogue comes back at the end? Because I, I sure do. <laughs> I fucking love it. All right, final thoughts time. Nicole, uh, what did we not talk about that you want to mention about Summerland? I just want to say that this would be a very impressive movie in terms of direction anyways, but the fact that it's Jessica Swales... Uh, film directorial debut I think makes it all the more impressive. I'm so excited to see what she goes on to do next. I've not seen any of her theater work, but I've heard such good things about stuff that she's done from friends who've seen it. And I think that she obviously is maybe one of the best directors I've seen in a while in terms of working with actors and really bringing out the best in her actors. 
Uh, and I'm so excited to see what she goes on to do next. I think uh, this is easily one of the best directorial debuts of the year, and we've had some very good ones this year. I also just want to say that I'm so excited that this movie is out now because I fully intend to watch it again and then at the end just put on Taylor Swift's new album and just sit on the floor and cry. It's going to be great. I think they're a great pairing uh, <laughs> because they're both just very full of like yearning um, and cottagecore vibes. And I really hope that a lot of people go out of their way to actually see this movie because I think that it's really beautiful and a really, a really nice piece for the world right now that we're living in. Okay. Sarah. Um, I just want to thank Jessica Swale for saving my life. And also <laughs> I just love how well Penelope and Gemma complement each other. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you really do feel that like Penelope is like Alice in old age and they're both so funny. Like they don't really have like a, like a sense of humor, really. But it's just that whole matter of factness is just so hilarious. All right. Lauren. I want to talk about the amazing music by Volker Bertelman, especially in the third act, because that score is gorgeous and it does tug on the strings. So ye be warned. And um, I also, again, like what Sarah said, I do love the comedy. Um, I am a sarcastic prick like Alice at times <laughs> so I related to all the oys to all the yelling and especially the letter of your son appears to have moved into my house entirely against my will <laughs> next paragraph he's he fine, fine. <laughs> I loved it and again I love a good writer director I especially love it when it's a woman because they are oh so inspiring so Jessica just thank you for making this and I really do think this is a very timely piece and it teaches us a lot about, you know, life and everything in it and after it and in between it. And as Vera says in the film, we're all here. So I say make the most of it. All right. Dan Baer. I, I'm going to say again, like Jessica Swale, writer, director, debut film and I, if this is any indication, I think she is going to grow into one of our strongest directors. I Just the way that I'm so impressed by the way that everything in this is in service of the story and not just like the dialogue of the screenplay, but the themes and every little thing is just catered to bringing out the main themes of the story in a way that I just really, really respect. And I can't wait to watch it again. And also um, when I say like the best child acting I've seen in a long time, I'm not just talking about him. I'm also talking about the girl who plays um, Edie, his best friend is his only child friend in the village. Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> I we love an asshole prick child. Hello. <laughs> we, we love her. We stand and like I felt so betrayed by her in the third act. Okay, and... the cottage in this movie is not the only thing with atonement vibes. Like that's oh. also got some atonement vibes. Oh my god, she even has the hair. The hair. The hair. Oh my god. Well, I can't oh unsee god. that. Why? Why did I notice that before? Oh my god. But yeah, and oh 
Lord, I just, I really love this movie. It took me completely by surprise, and I'm so impressed with it. And please, please see it, because it's delightful. I echo everything that everyone just said about Jessica Swale. I think this is a uh, strong debut, and I think it shows a tremendous amount of promise in terms of what she will do in the future. Um, I think that the movie is... Uh, very gorgeous to look at sometimes. Uh, the lens flare cinematography, especially by the seaside, uh, looks really, really great. And the music is lovely, um, although it wasn't a standout for me uh, compared to some other uh, scores I've heard this year. It is a nice listen now. Performances, very strong across the board. Uh, no one in it uh, was a weak link necessarily for me. And I think Gemma Arterton, I think this probably maybe is the best I've seen her. Yeah, I, I think I would go that far. Uh, I think I think she's pretty damn good in this. It's definitely the best I've ever seen her. I just want to say on film. Um, I've I've seen her some of her stage work that was filmed for National Theatre Live, and that I think she's a really good stage actress. And I think that maybe that's part of what it is is that she has experience working with Swale in theater, and so Swale was kind of able to capture some of what Gemma typically brings into her theater work, but on film. And uh, my one little not related to anything note here is um, watching Tom Courtenay uh, run in several shots uh, was very humorous to me because I can only imagine because they were very long shots where he had to uh, travel uh, a bit of distance. And all, all I could think to myself was this poor man, how many takes did they have to do possibly of him doing this? Um, I don't know what kind of shape he's in necessarily, but uh, yeah. And then there's like one moment where him and like two other old people are like running towards a car. And I was just like, this is hysterical right now. <laughs> just watching everyone run. Um, but yeah, totally not related to anything. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the lowest grade. That's OK. Um, strong seven out of ten. I like I said before, I think it shows a tremendous amount of potential uh, for the future for Swale. I can't wait to see what she does next as echoed here. Uh, very strong themes, a good watch for sure, recommended uh, during these quarantine times. Even if even if you have to pay to watch it, uh, definitely recommended. Uh, Dan Bear. Oh, uh, don't do me next. Um, I, you know what? Fuck it. I'm at a nine. Ooh. I, I, because just, again, like I was saying, like just how everything, every little directorial choice is so precise and so smart and I love it. And plus it made me cry several times. So yeah. Lauren. I'm going to give it a really strong eight, but it's probably going to rise on a rewatch. I just think that sometimes films are just released at the perfect time and are made for you at the perfect moment. And I think this is one of those rare beauties that just, you know, reminds you why storytelling, especially in the film format, is oh so powerful and oh so important. And I'm so glad that this amazing playwright has decided to move into film. And I can't wait for the world to love her and see her. And I can't wait to see what's next. Amen. Sarah. Like Lauren said, I'm giving it a strong eight. But like, I mean, it'll probably turn into a nine on a rewatch. <laughs> Yeah, the eight's definitely rising, probably. Yeah. Nicole. I'm going to make us sound like a broken record, but I'm also a strong eight. And the more I think about the film, the more I like it. Like, it's one of those things that I, it's gotten quite stuck in my head and I just can't stop thinking about it. I actually think I'm going to rewatch it tonight. We'll see what happens to my score. I could definitely see it going up. Uh, but right now, definitely an eight. Okay. 
Let's talk uh, some Oscar prospects for this movie because, you know, listen, in a normal year, I would say no, uh, because kind of like what Lauren said, I think it would just be looked at as another British period, uh, low budget piece that is nice. It's liked and it would just get swept under the rug and, you know, we would turn our eye towards bigger Oscar players, but different year different times. Uh, So let's talk about it. Uh, Let's really dive into what could be possible here. I personally think costumes and Gemma are the strongest probabilities. I agree. I could see Gemma do an independent spirit. I could see that. Maybe a BAFTA. I could see BAFTA. Yeah. I think the film could overall do quite well at BAFTA. Oh, you know what? Outstanding Mm -hmm. debut by a writer-director category. And she is Absolutely. an Olivier winner, so she, she has respect from the British world of artists, and so I don't see it hard for her to cross over. And with Penelope Wilton and Tom Courtenay, you know, actors that they like over there in it, uh, maybe getting their eyes on it. I British film, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. The Independent British Awards. I think it'll do quite well there, too. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that happening. A Summerland sweep. <laughs> yes, Let's manifest please. it, you guys. <laughs> I will happily lead that campaign. But I do yeah. think that costumes at the Oscars is not out of the realm of possibility. I think if enough people saw it, maybe Jimma could get in. Like, it would be worth them campaigning her, I think. I think it would be worth the campaign, yeah. yeah. I, I do think those are the two places it's most likely to get in. I think in critics awards and stuff maybe we could see it get in score maybe let me put it to you this way as of today i think there are probably 10 very solid actresses in the running for best actress that have been seen might i add there are sight unseen performances that we are currently predicting but that's because they are your typical oscar positioned players right if they don't come out, though, the 10 that I'm thinking of that Gemma now is a part of, you know, there's five slots. And, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that if everything gets pushed off, that it could happen. No, yeah. And Gemma, they definitely should campaign her. And she is, mm-hmm. like you said, Matt, extremely underrated. I feel like when people see her, they only see her in those big budget movies that she's in which doesn't really represent her talent. I say, if you're a fan of Gemma Arden, watch her independent films, because that's where she really does shine in. And she has been a consistent actor, and I hope people just don't see her as, you know, the girl from Clash of the Titans. And (laughs) it would be really cool to see someone who, again, who's consistently been working, finally get, you know, a major award somewhere, get a major nomination, and I think she deserves it. I just had PTSD to Prince of Persia, The Sand of Time, so thank you yeah, for that. People <laughs> like, no, yeah, like people will be like, oh, that's the girl from Prince Sands of Time that like made out with Jake Gyllenhaal, or was the girl in Clash of the Titans. I'm like, okay, she's so much more than that. Like, look at her other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, she is a consistent worker, and this is one of her best pieces. What was that one she was in recently? Vita and... Vita and Virginia. Oh, Vita and Virginia, yeah. Yeah. She's much better here. I'll be in the minority of that. I will say that I prefer her here than I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I also think that any awards that have a child performance category, we will probably be seeing Lucas Bond show up. Oh, I think so too, yeah. definitely deserves to show up. I could even... I mean, from what's come out thus far this year, I could see him winning. Uh, unless we get some more good, solid child performances in the, you know, 
next part of 2020. Right. I think he's got a very good shot at all those child performance awards. Yeah, because the only other child performance that I can think of off the top of my head uh, is God. I, I what the hell was her even, even her name? Uh, Devin Devin France Devin France from uh, oh, Wendy. Oh uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's who I'm thinking of. But that's like otherwise we don't have enough to fill out a category. <laughs> no, totally, absolutely. I agree. Troop zero count because then yeah, I guess Troop Zero. But like, I just feel like if they, you know, they could definitely push Lucas Bond for those mm-hmm. awards, and he could definitely do well. Alrighty. Well, that'll do it here for our discussion of Summerland here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Sour Clements, tell everyone where they can find you, and please come on the podcast more often. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mildred's Fears. All right, Nicole. I just want to say this was such a lovely podcast to do. I'm so glad that we were all on it. You guys can find me on Twitter. Please come talk to me about Summerland at Nicole Ackman 16. <laughs> Lauren LaMagna. You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Summerland here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.